Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, I'll tackle a large subject this morning, and it's probably too large to really be tackled in one sermon, so we'll see how this goes. Back in when we lived in Guatemala, one time we had a um, wedding, I think it was, to go to in Mishkolaha, and I can't remember, I think Eldon or Lowell, one of the two, was with us on this trip. Um, we decided to, instead of going down through Guatemala City and around over through Quiche, to the Quiche area over to Mishkolaha, we'd go the back way and go down through Kovan, and there was a road that we could see on the map, but nobody seemed to be able to tell me anything about, that cut over to, to um, through the mountains and over this Rio Chicsoy, a river there, into Sacapulas, which is right below this town of Mishkolaha. And so we started down, I knew my way to Kovan just fine, I didn't have any problems getting there, I'd driven through there several times, and there was a main road that went through there. And um, then outside of Kovan, there was a, a town, um, Santa Cruz Verapaz, and then beyond, then, that's where we turned off, and then beyond that, there was a, another little town, San Cristobal Verapaz, which was a fairly decent sized town, and I, um, we worked our way through it and out the other side, driving through these little these little towns, especially in the Indian areas, is interesting because you're never quite sure what's the main route through. You get into this town and there's streets in front of you and you're like, okay, which one looks the biggest? That one's probably the one that goes through. Let's try that and see if that gets us out the other side. Um, I went out the other side of this town and I, we kept driving for a little ways and the road turned to dirt, which was kind of unusual. I was like, is this for sure the right way? I mean, I know this wasn't the most major road, but it was kind of unusual for a main route to turn to dirt. And um, then I started zigzagging around. The next thing I know, I was on this stretch of road where there had been a landslide that had come through and wiped out the road, and it was rebuilt. And I was like, I don't know. This just doesn't look right. So I turned around and went back to the town and actually drove almost all the way back to where we'd gotten into the town. Finally found somebody who was like, which way do I go from here to, to Sacapulas or whatever the next town was? I don't remember what I, exactly what I asked. And they're like, oh, no, that's, that's the road. So I went out there again and started down through this, and sure enough, that was the road. Um, and I, I remember this, <clears throat> this landslide area. I actually pulled it up on Google Maps this morning, and sure enough, you can still see this huge landslide where the road goes right through. <clears throat> I remember it's just gravel everywhere, and it looks, like, it looks like you're driving in the middle of nowhere. And the road continued on. It was a very, very lonely road. I don't know if you're ever down in that area in Delvin. Um, and just every once in a while, there's a town. And so to, keep, to make sure I was on the right road, I kept watching the microbuses, the little buses coming towards me, because they would have names painted on them, the town they went from and the town they went to. And you'd watch those, and like, if one of those two towns is one that's ahead of you, then you're okay. You're still on the right, still on the right route, um, which I figured out later on. There was really no other route. Once I got on that one, it was on the right one. There really wasn't anything else to get onto. Um, what I needed, though, I needed a truth about my route. I needed to know was I on the, the right route or not. And you remember the story probably in, um, I don't even have the reference written down. I believe this is in John, but that's unfortunate I don't have the exact reference. You remember when Jesus was in front of Pilate and they were discussing um, who Jesus was? Pilate says, are you a king then? And Jesus says, well, you say that I am. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. 
Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then Pilate asked this age-old question, what is truth? And I don't know exactly what Pilate was meaning by that, um, but maybe it was a cynical, there is no truth. Maybe it was a, I'm the one who establishes truth here. And that was, he was in that position. Um, I, I don't know exactly what Pilate meant, but I'd like to talk about truth this morning. And that question of what is truth um, is a profound question. It's a question we wrestle with. Um, it's a question that's very practical sometimes. In my case, I was struggling to know what was truth about my, my route. Um, there was so little to tell me. There, Guatemala doesn't have a really good road sign system like we have here. Um, it may tell you there's something up ahead, but it may not tell you how far. Uh, it may not even tell you there's something ahead. Um, so I was struggling with knowing about truth about my route there. Uh, we need truth about our route through life. Um, far more important question than just truth about where we're going today or tomorrow. And you probably struggle with the question of truth at different points in life, um, sometimes with major things, sometimes with minor things. I looked up truth in the dictionary, and the dictionary says that which is true or in accordance, in accordance with fact or reality, or a fact or belief that is accepted as true. Those aren't bad definitions, but we tend to think when we talk about truth, especially in a spiritual sense, we tend to think about something beyond facts, right? Um, spiritual things are based on fact, but there's more to it than just fact. It's certainly more about belief. Um, John MacArthur, I ran across a quote from him, said, Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. That is the biblical meaning of truth because the definition of truth flows from God. Truth is theological. Um, so he's saying truth originates with God. Uh, truth is the self-expression of God. And that rings a lot closer to what we tend to think of um, when we think of truth. Something that's consistent with who God is. Um, that God is kind of the thing we measure truth by. And I don't know about you, but I find that today there's so much information that sometimes truth gets muddy. Um, there's so many perspectives and you hear so many things that it makes it tougher to sort out what is truth. Sometimes I think it would have been easier. <laughs> this, is, this is my simplistic view of life, I suppose. But sometimes I think it would have been easier would we have lived in an age where I think we were basically cut off from much of the rest of the world. You know, you could form your opinion of the world and how things work and and your framework, and um, be content with that. But we get bombarded with stuff from many different places, many different views, and it, it, to me, it makes it more complicated. I don't know if that's what y'all think or not. I'd like to look at the Gospel of John this morning, and I'm sorry, this is topical sermon. This is not exegetical. Um, I do usually try to use one passage as the basis. This time it didn't work out that way. I do want to use the book of John that kind of is our the place that we work from. And I'd like to start in John 1, verse 14. John's gospel is really the only one of the gospels that presents truth as a concept, um, as a something that is important in itself. And 
I probably could have pulled more out of this gospel if you go through and not only look for truth, but also for true. Um, he talks about things that are true. <clears throat> and John also um, talks about the concept of light quite a bit. And it's actually tied a bit to truth, which we'll talk about later on. But John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's two things I want to notice about this verse. The first is uh, Jesus was full of truth. Grace and truth. Um, truth enabled Jesus to live life perfectly. It's not the only thing that gave him that ability, for sure, but it was part of what made him able to live life perfectly. He could provide the perfect solution to people's problems because he understood them perfectly. He knew the truth about God and his relationship with God. Um, one of the really profound or the things that has a profound impact on us is what is our perspective on God? Um, who do we see God as? And Jesus completely understood who God was and his relationship to God. Um, Jesus didn't struggle wondering if he was doing the right thing. Uh, I think the closest thing we have in Jesus' life to doubt was his cry on the cross of why God had forsaken him. But we live life questioning and wondering, are we for sure doing the right thing? Um, are we making the right choices? Jesus um, always had the correct view on life. He didn't mistakenly um, think that he had the right view, but instead turn out to be wrong. Uh, we have that problem. We'll think that we know what is true and we're doing the right thing and it turns out we're wrong. I remember another time in Guatemala, this time Lowell, I think Lowell and Eldon were both with us. We hiked up this volcano, um, Mount Agua, and it was getting late in the day. We started way too late, um, just climbing this thing, and it's quite a climb. I don't know if it was five, 6,000 feet of climbing. I'm not sure, it's a pretty big mountain. And um, <laughs> the, the altitude started to get to me. I was not thinking rationally, and I didn't realize how irrationally I was thinking. And for some reason, Lowell had gone ahead of us, and the rest of us were following. He was out of sight. And we got to this place where this path went through another landslide, a place where the mountain had slid. And for some reason, in my irrational brain, I decided that could not possibly be safe for us to go through, and that we had better choose a different route. And um, so we did, which was not any safer. In fact, it was much less safe. And um, Darren later told me he was convinced he was close to death on that trip. <laughs> um, it, it was a pretty crazy climb up to the, finally to the top. And we fortunately got to the top just when the guys that Lowell had finally gotten to up on the top, the guys that lived in the top, had just started to come down the mountain to find us. We managed to get there just when they were leaving so they didn't go way down the mountain looking for us. But I was convinced I knew what was the right route, and I was completely wrong. Um, fortunately, on a mountain, if you keep climbing towards the top, you will eventually get there. So it wasn't a complete catastrophe. But that, that, those things happen in life um, about much more important things that we believe that we're right, but we're wrong. <clears throat> and that impacts the choices we make and the way we live our lives. Jesus didn't have that problem. Um, he was full of truth, and he understood uh, life perfectly. 
So the thing I want us to remember from, from thinking about Jesus and being full of truth is that truth in our lives is key to us living the way God wants us to. Um, we can't live the way God wants us to just by chance. Now, we have to know truth to be able to live the way that God wants us to. And Jesus was full of truth, which enabled him to live that way. Second thing from this verse is that um, John and the other disciples saw that grace and truth in Jesus. Um, if you leave out the parenthetical statement in there, there's a right in the middle of this verse, there's a couple of parentheses and something in the middle there. If you read it without it, it says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Um, I tend to think of it, I've memorized this when I was a, a boy in school, and I tend to think of the whole verse as, as one unit, but if you drop that out, he dwelt among us full of grace and truth. They, they noticed um, in Jesus living among them, they saw the truth and grace that was in him. Truth is, I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. This struck me as I was studying, um, studying this, this message, studying for this message. Um, truth is especially relevant and displayed in relationships. In fact, you could almost say that truth comes out of relationships. So this is a, kind of a weird way of thinking about it, but can you lie without there being someone to hear? Can you tell a lie? Like, so there's some sins that you know, obviously are interior, right? Um, lust doesn't necessarily have an exterior manifestation, if you want to say it that way. Um, anger can be something that I bottle up inside me. But lying, while I could lie to myself or I could lie to God, it tends to be in relation to somebody else, right? I'm conveying something to somebody else in a way that I'm trying to deceive them. It's not just... I go to the back of the room and write this lie on the wall and nobody ever sees it, you know, but this is horrible lie. I mean, it's always in relation to somebody, um, or almost always. Maybe, maybe we can't say it's 100% absolutely always, but truth is often in relationships. God's truth speaking to me, uh, me speaking truth to somebody else, me speaking truth to God about who I am, acknowledging who I am. And Jesus' truth was lived out in relationships here on earth. Um, relationships are built on trust, and trust comes from people being true and honest with each other. I was working with somebody this, well, it's been several months now, trying to get some paperwork done for some stuff in Guatemala. And um, I was working, the, the lawyer I've been working with changed his price on me at one point. And that change made me question, is this guy trustworthy or not? You know, did he really make a mistake and just change it, or does he, is he trying to pull something off on me? Um, he had sent me a text that had given me one price, and then we talked a number of weeks later, and I said, yeah, is this the, still the price? And he's like, uh, no, this is my normal price, and he gave me a much higher price. I said, well, I have a text from you. Well, yeah, that doesn't line up with what he usually does. This is what his normal price is. So I, I, I still don't know, was he, is he completely trustworthy or not? I, I'm not sure, but tr trust between people is based on truth, honesty, um, that we are honest with each other. So truth in our lives is, is key to us living as God wants us to. 
And truth in our lives is also key to good relationships. Our relationships with other people um, are as good as we are truthful with them. Now I'd like to jump to John 8, verses 44 through 47. This is a very familiar group of verses as well. Jesus is talking with the Jews. And interestingly, if you read through this passage, it's somewhat confusing which Jews he's talking to because he starts out saying he's speaking to the Jews which believed on him. And then he ends up talking to some that very obviously don't believe on him. I'm not quite sure where the switch happens in this passage. But um, in verse 44, "'Year of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? If, If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God.'" The main verse I want us to think about is verse 44, where it talks about Satan being the father of these Jews and being a liar and the father of lies. Truth and falsehood create and reinforce spiritual relationships. So our our, our very actions in speaking truth or in lying create or reinforce relationships spiritually. Um, God is truth. That is his nature. And Jesus here is saying Satan is a liar, and that is his nature. And we identify ourselves with one or the other. Um, Jesus said here, you're of your father, your devil, uh, of your father, the devil, because your actions demonstrate a family resemblance to Satan. Um, And as we, if we are untruthful, we identify ourselves with Satan as well. Not only, do they, not only does falsehood um, align us with Satan, it also pulls us into a um, progressive pattern of falsehood. It's difficult to lie and maintain that lie without having to lie another time. And then another time, Mark Twain once said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. It's much simpler. That's true. You, I noticed a story this morning that I stumbled across on the internet. Um, some lady, I don't even know who this person was, but she was saying that her mom was such a great storyteller. And as, as this girl grew up, she wanted to be a storyteller too. And she started telling, she was pretty sure some of her mom's stories were not true. And she started telling stories that weren't true too. But she had to be careful because some of the stories she told were about her family, and so she would tell those to people who didn't know her family or didn't have contact with her family. And so she had to start keeping these stories straight. And somewhere in her little article, she said that um, she met the man that eventually became her husband, and he was such an honest, straightforward man. And he uncovered that a bunch of her things were just stories. And she started to realize that her family actually had a lot of colorful stories without making things up, and that it was a whole lot less energy and keeping track of all these stories she had going. Um, so lies are progressive. As we, if we are not truthful, there's a whole lot more to keep track of, and we end up having to continue to cover up for ourselves. Now, 
Now, John talks about light and truth a number of times. In 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship uh, one with another. He uses light a number of different times. Interestingly, um, the word for truth in the New Testament, aletheia or something like that, my Greek is horrible, uh, stems from a word which means unconcealed or unhidden. Kind of the idea, the thing it made me think of is light being shed on something. Um, truth is when there's nothing covered up. It's out in the open. Um, the story of the woman who touched Jesus' garment, it says when she saw that she was not hid, that's that word. Um, she was revealed. She was not, no longer concealed. And, and that's, that's the word that truth then comes from. Um, truth in us means we don't have to hide things. And probably most of the time, um, we don't feel like we really struggle with lying. Um, I imagine that for most of us, that's not at least a day-to-day -day struggle that we, we, we have to face. But maybe it is. I, I don't know. Um, but we do face situations in life where it certainly feel more convenient in the moment to not tell the truth. Um, you know, you run into a situation at a, with a problem at work and you would really like to say, it wasn't my fault. And you have to admit, it was my fault that you know, I made a mistake. We need to remember that um, if we want to know truth, we have to live truth. If we want to... If we want to know God's truth, we have to be, be people who speak and live truth. Because lying identifies with, with Satan, who is the father of lies. Now, in, in John 8, going back to verse 31 and 32, actually, before we read that, maybe I should just review. We've talked about Jesus being full of grace and truth, that truth in our lives is key to us living as God wants us to. And then that truth in our lives is key to good relationships. <clears throat> and then finally, that truth and falsehood create and reinforce spiritual relationships. Now back in John 8, verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We need truth in our lives. Um, not only do we need to speak truth, but we need truth from God. And, and we have two struggles, I think, with knowing truth. The first is that we are limited people. Like, we are finite. We are human. We don't have the... I don't know how much Jesus' knowledge was limited, but he had a whole lot more knowledge about God and about uh, life than, than we do. And we see life out of our own experiences. Uh, my interpretation of life is probably somewhat different than yours because I've been through different experiences. And we all gauge life and, and strive to understand life based on those experiences of ours. And we're susceptible to, to being wrong and even worse, to being deceived. Uh, from the very beginning, Satan has been lying to humans and we can't always sort out on our own what is error and what is truth. I mentioned already that our view of God really affects how we shape our lives. And that is part of, of knowing truth. Do we know what is true about God? Do we have the right concept of God? 
Part of Jesus' coming, when it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, part of that may have been Jesus revealed more about God. Um, now a bunch of what had been hidden before was now known and understood. Jesus explained more about God. Um, his coming and his life gave a fuller picture of who God is. And we need to know that full picture of God and understand who he is to be able to live correctly. The second area that we're limited in and that we, we need God's help in is in our recognition of the impact that Satan and the world has on us. Um, I've probably talked about this before here, but I'm always impressed um, with the, the difference in culture between here and another country, here in, here in Guatemala, because that's where we live the most, and how different perspectives can be on different things, um, and how you can be so shaped by your culture. The longer I lived in Guatemala, the more I felt like I was an American. Like, the, the more I realized that the way I thought and the way I acted came out of my culture. And it bothered me because I, it made me wonder how much am I living because I know Jesus and how much am I living just because of the culture I was in. One thing that, I can tell you two little minor things. One thing was, um, when we first moved down, we were jarred by the paint colors, the bright colors. It seemed very gaudy. And they just, they're painted outside, houses are painted outside, maybe inside, with these very bright colors. But after a while, it kind of started to grow on us. And by the time we left, we had painted our house purple on the outside and orange, blue, and brown inside, and I think we had a gray room. I don't, I don't remember all our colors. Now, part of that was, to be fair, part of that was because the orange, blue, and brown paint was cheap. So that was, that was part of the reason. But we did enjoy it, too. Um, we picked out the colors we liked the best out of the cheap paint, and that was the, the ones that we used. And then we moved back, and it was like, oh, these boring white walls. Like, nothing but white. Like, what, what are these people thinking? And um, now we've been back long enough that white is starting to look kind of classy again. I mean, ours are a little dirty and smudged, but um, that is completely our culture and what we're in shaping our perspective on life. And that is a very small thing, but there are much more major things like gay marriage and divorce and remarriage and things like that that our society presents to us. And we're supposed to start absorbing this, and we do start absorbing it unconsciously, unless we're, unless we're really vigilant. Um, another thing that, that I found so different was the, the way people dress between here and Central America. Um, Central America is not a wealthy society, but when it comes to formality, they are very formal. Um, they, they will dress up and really dress up to, to go out into public, even just to go to town. And I remember um, going to town to sell Bibles, and uh, when we lived in Santa Rosita, we had to cross a ferry, and so we'd wait at the ferry, and I mean, these rows of cars, sometimes 40, 50 cars waiting to cross the ferry, and all these people would be coming from way back in to go to town, and they would have ridden for some of them even a couple hours on the back of a pickup on dusty roads to get to town. And you'd see them getting off, and they would getting off the trucks, they were riding, most of them were riding on the back of a pickup to get there. 
and they would get down off the truck and they would start cleaning themselves up and they would go down to the river and wash their hands and wash their face. And I remember a few times seeing people actually changing clothes. You know, they would brought along an extra change of clothes or they wore another change over top to make sure they were clean and presentable for town. Um, and here, you know, you see people in public with torn jeans and t-shirts and whatever, you know, we, we're a very casual society. It doesn't, that sort of formality isn't as important to us. And um, I would see people come down, the tourists coming through down there, like, what are you people thinking? Like, you just look like bums in this society. These people know how to dress, <laughs> and here you are. Now, con in contrast, um, I clearly remember one time, so in our little town of Santa Rosita, if it wasn't time to be dressed up, sometimes the children were running around with nothing more than underwear on. And um, I remember one time with Dave, I was back in, Dave Horst, we were back in near the Mexican border, and I was like a five-year-old, I think, running around with nothing on, completely stark naked. That kind of shocked me. That was outside of my cultural norms. Um, but these are the things, these are things that we're shaped by our culture. We to accept certain things and not accept others. How do we have, how do we maintain truth, an understanding of truth, and, and how it fits into our culture um, without our truth becoming shaped by our culture, if that makes sense. Um, we need to know truth that transcends culture and can tell us how to live, even when the right way to live is completely against our culture. So that's the first struggle in knowing truth for us, is that we're limited, and we are shaped by things around us. And then the second thing is maybe more serious, and that is that our very nature is opposed to truth, <clears throat> our sinful nature. We're bent towards sin. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, how Satan is the father of lies. But we have a part of us that identifies with that father of lies, a part of us that's pulled by that, um, and it can become to the point where we can't even hear truth because we're identified with Satan. That's what Jesus said about the, the Pharisees. <clears throat> um, he said in verse 47 of chapter 8, He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because you're not of God. You can't hear this because you're not even in, you don't even have the capacity to hear right now. Otto Koenig talked about that. I don't know if you all have listened to any of his stories. He talks about one time um, coming to the point where he started to, he said this was against his denominational um, beliefs, but he started renouncing Satan and binding Satan. He said he was really glad his church couldn't see him because he was pretty sure they weren't going to support this, but it's all of a sudden opened the doors for people to hear him. And the people would say afterwards, they said, before we heard you with our ears, but now we hear you with our stomachs. That was a way of saying, now we can understand. <clears throat> and the difference was, somehow the demonic oppression was removed and they could actually hear and understand. Um, we have a bent towards sin that makes it difficult for us to accurately understand truth and to acknowledge it, because that's the second part of our struggle with, um, with truth, is that it's difficult sometimes to acknowledge who we really are what we, what we are really like. And we need truth over and over in our life to keep us from deceiving ourselves. So the truth will make us free. You, you shall know the truth and the truth will make us free. We need truth in our lives, but we are limited and we are also sinful. 
How can we know truth? Um, Jesus said of himself, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We need a, a source of truth for ourselves. Um, we are not adequate in ourselves to know what is true. I work with data and information about people and things. And one of the problems when you work with information is if you have information coming from multiple sources and those sources don't agree, like that's, you would rather just have one source and have it consistent than have to try to figure out which of the two is the right one. Um, I particularly work with courses and enrollments. Like one of the things that we have to decide is we have two systems at work. One is the one that stores all the information about students and the other one is the one they actually do their work in. And sometimes those two systems don't agree. One of them says, hey, they're enrolled in this course. And the other one says, don't know anything about them. They're not enrolled in that course. And you have to decide which of those two is actually right. Um, and so we talk about, on our team, we'll say, you know, which one is the source of truth? Which one is the one that is accurate? Um, and usually we just pick the one that, that has all the information about the students anyway. We say that one's the source of truth. If the other one has a discrepancy, we'll let people know, but we're going with the, the, main, the main student information system. Um, we need a source of truth for life. We need something that we can say, this is where truth comes from. Um, some people think there are many valid ways or that um, any way to, you know, many ways lead to God. But Jesus says that he wants to be our source of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So how can we receive truth from Jesus? Um, John seventeen seventeen. Jesus is speaking here. He's praying. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are so fortunate to have a written word to go back to. Um, you know, there could be many things that are transmitted orally, passed along, stories, whatever, from person to person. But biblical truth is really nice to have written down and not have to try to decipher what God might have intended in stories that we're hearing from other people. Um, it's, the Bible is a constant source of truth, and it gives us an accurate picture of God and of Jesus, of sin, of Satan, of so many things in life. Now, I think our problem today is not that we don't have this written word. The problem is exposing ourselves enough to it, um, being consistently in the word. And we can blame our modern society that we're so busy that it's difficult to do. But I, I think I remember Guatemalans who were not in the modern society struggling with the same problem, to take enough time to be in God's word. I struggle with it. Um, but the better we know our Bibles, the better we know the better our chance is of knowing truth. Um, I suppose you can know your Bible very thoroughly and really still not have met God's truth in it, but in general, the more that we can be in God's Word, the better we know truth. 
So we can receive truth from Jesus through the Word. The other way we can receive it, back if we go back one chapter to John 16, verse 13, Jesus promised that he would send the Comforter, and he calls him the Comforter, and then he also calls him the Spirit of Truth. He says, When he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatever he will hear, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. Um, Jesus sent his own Spirit to live in us, to guide us into truth. Um, the Bible's unchanging. We need that sort of a standard to measure things by. Um, to, to have inerrant truth written down in. But at the same time, we need somebody to interpret that truth into what does it mean today? What does it mean practically? The Bible doesn't describe all situations and all things that we face. Um, it, it needs some way to, to apply it to, to our lives. And that's what the Spirit is here, for, here to do for us. Sometimes when I'm working, I'll have a problem that I'm facing or a piece of code that I'm writing and I'll think of about three or four different ways that I could solve this problem. And I'll go to one of the other guys and I'll say, what makes sense? Like, of these different ways, what's the, the best way to apply to this problem? Like, which one of those should I, should I be implementing here? And we'll, we'll make a decision and we'll, we'll do it that way. That's kind of what we need the Spirit for. You know, there's, there's truth out there, but what, what applies to my situation? Um, what is the truth that I should be living in today, or in this situation? What's, what's the thing that I need to be paying attention to? We need that source of truth um, from Jesus. So just to review, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Truth in our lives is key to us living as God wants us to. Truth is key to good relationships. Truth and falsehood create and reinforce spiritual relationships. We need to know truth, but we are limited because of our um, finiteness and our sinful nature. And then we need a source of truth, which is Jesus, his word and his spirit. And something to see to, we lived on a river. And it was a pretty big river. It was a slow-moving uh, river. But it was, it was quite wide. I don't know if it would have been double the length of this gym in width, maybe. Something like that. It was a pretty, pretty major river. And um, there was a lot of water flowing through this river. And a couple times, um, we made trips up to the very head of the river, where the river started. And this river was unusual. Around here, or at least for for what I've seen of rivers. Around here, we tend to have rivers that there's a stream that comes in, and another stream that comes in, and another stream, and the, the streams build up the river, and as you go further up the river, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which this river did to a certain extent, but it wasn't, when you got to the head, the river was still pretty big. It wasn't just a, a narrow little stream. And at the head of the river was a pool that was probably the size of this gem, more or less, and all the water came out of that pool. There's just one pool and all this water is flowing out of it. And I, I don't know where it, that water was coming from. Somewhere underground, there was huge amounts of water. Some people claim that maybe it was connected back to the, the huge lake at, at Flores. I don't know if that's true or not. <clears throat> but somewhere, there was lots of water flowing out 
from pressure from somewhere that was just creating this river. And I, I think about that, thinking about God as the source of truth. That river had one source, basically. I mean, there was other tributaries that contributed, but the majority of its water came from one source. And in life, God is the source. Jesus is the source of truth. Um, we can we be tempted to think we kind of know how life works and live out of a certain framework of, of um, or a certain pattern that we just follow. But really, God is a source of truth. We need to continue to ask God to reveal truth to us. Um, Jesus said, the Spirit will lead us into all truth. Truth is, I think, our understanding of truth is progressive. We, we continue to grow in understanding God and understanding more about truth. But He is the source of truth, just like that pool was the source for that river. So I want us to, to recognize Him as a source of truth. And then I want to inspire us to spend more time in the Word and with Jesus. Um, sometimes that river... Um, it would in dry season, it could get really low. And there would be portions of that river that would become just pools and not flowing water anymore. And those pools would start to get um, somewhat stagnant and dusty on top and whatever because they were no longer connected back to the source. And they were no longer river. They were just pools, nothing more. And that, that's the way we can become as well. Without being connected with the Word and with Jesus, without that connection back to the source, we don't have anything to offer anybody else either. Um, you know, some people say, reach down into yourself and find truth or whatever. Well, uh, I'm sure your experience is like mine. When you reach down inside yourself, you really inspect inside yourself. It's not too pretty. There's, there's not truth there, and there's lots of problems. Uh, truth has to come from outside of us. And I want to challenge us as well to be careful what we put into us, um, along with needing to spend time with the Word and with Jesus. I think our understanding of truth is shaped by what we see and what we hear, by what we read. The things that come into us um, impact uh, how we view truth. God bless you all.